All right, well, good morning again. We're so glad you guys are here. I don't know if this note is for me or not, but it says puppies are pretty things. So uh, I agree with that. I don't, I don't know why this is here. So anyway, all right, we'll put that right there. So uh, one more, a couple more announcements for you guys. Uh, so this week is Teacher Appreciation Week, and so we love our teachers and everybody works in our school systems around here. So if you work in the school system on your way out, welcome gift. We just have a, a simple gift for you guys. Just stop by for a second and grab one of those. Uh, and then also this week, and this is where we need some of you guys' help, whether you're tuning in online or listening later on the podcast or here. Uh, so this week, every year for Teacher Appreciation Week, uh, we take all of the schools that feed Bullet Central. So that's the school here in our local community, the high school. So Bullet Central and the middle schools and all the elementary schools, and we feed all of the teachers, all of the office staff, everybody. And so it's over 500 people we're going to feed this week. And so if you want to drop an extra $5, 10 uh, through the giving on the app or on the offering boxes on the way out, that will go towards helping uh, feed all of the teachers. And so we love our teachers. Uh, and so if you have students, make sure you get their teachers a gift. Uh, it is Teacher Appreciation Week, and these last couple years have been really difficult on teachers and all of school um, staff. And so we want to make sure and take time every year to acknowledge them, but also thank them and to feed them. All right. And so make sure and partner with us in that. Now, we are starting a new series this week. And so again, we're glad you're here. It's a beautiful day. Uh, you could be a million other places. It looks like some people chose to be a million other places, but we're glad that you are here. And so uh, we're excited about this content uh, of, that we're going to be starting, and it's going to be next five weeks we're going to be working through this. So there's a book I read a couple years ago. It's a really simple book. It's called Better Decisions and Fewer Regrets. And I read this book, and I took to heart all the simple and practical kind of details of the book. In fact, my wife, actually, this morning, she was like, well, what are you preaching about? And I was telling her I'm preaching through that book that I read a couple years ago. And she was like, oh, you got a lot better after that. So there's my wife's endorsement <laughs> that this, this stuff actually works, all right? And so uh, we've talked about this before, but on its most basic level, life is a collection of choices that we make. That's what it is. Your life, my life, is just a series of choices that we've made to get us to where we are today, brick by brick, decision by decision. My hope for me and my hope for you is that as you make choices, that you want to make informed and wise choices. Now, the problem is for some of us in this room or some of us listening later or anybody that hears this content at some point in time, the problem is for some of us, when it comes to making choices, we do whatever we want because we already think we know everything, right? And so there's no voice, there's no reason, there's no, I already know, I already know in my head, I already know in my heart what I'm going to do, and so you already know everything, and so that's part of the problem. The other problem is this, self-deception comes naturally to me and you, and we are very good at deceiving ourselves. In fact, we don't like to talk about this, but this is the reality of, of where we are, because life is just a series of choices that we make. The unsettling news is this, you have deceived yourself and you have sold yourself on every single bad decision that you've ever made. You actively participated in every bad decision that you've ever made. Now, what we want to do is we want to blame all kinds of reasons. We want to blame our past and our history and our parents and our whatever we want to blame. But the reality is, and this is something you have to deal with because I had to, you are the mastermind behind most of your regrettable decisions. You convinced yourself, you talked yourself into, you are the mastermind behind most of your regrettable decisions, whether those were financial, relational, professional, academic, you were there for all of it. 
Now, this statement is going to be very unsettling, but it's true. Okay, and this is the part about being honest with ourselves. If we want to get better, if we want to move fast where we are today, okay, you have to understand that you've done more to undermine your own success than anybody else. It's just reality. You have done and I have done more than anybody else on the planet, more things to undermine our success. Now, granted, there were outside pressures and there were other voices and people promising you stuff, trying to sell you stuff. But in the end, and this is the beginning of starting to move to a new place, you decided. It was your choice. And you decided. And so what we want to do is we want to take for the next four or five weeks, we want to take a look at this principle because I hope and you, for myself, but also for you, that we want to get to a better place where we make better choices and we live with fewer regrets, right? And so part of that is asking good questions, honest questions. And I think that if we're willing to ask good and honest questions of ourselves and our motives and our hearts and our minds, not only will your life be better, okay, but here's the real thing. The people who looked up to you and the people who depend on you's lives will be better as well because you're influencing better because you're taking time to ask these questions and work through these things. The other thing we're going to see today, and we know this and we're going to talk about this more over the series, is when we make choices, we often think that we're the only ones being impacted. The reality is none of us live in a vacuum, right? All of the choices that we make have impacts on other people, sometimes the people that we say we love and care about the most, but those choices can negatively affect those people. All right, so the book of Proverbs is this book of wisdom. If you've never read it, it's all these kind of short sayings. You can kind of dive into it. But one of my favorites is in Proverbs chapter 27, and it says this, a prudent person. Now, when we hear the word prudent, we immediately think of negative things, right? We think of a prude, right, or a prudent person. All this means, all this word basically means is someone that understands there's consequences to choices, that they see that there's something else that could happen. So a prudent person is someone that looks at a situation and they go, uh-oh, like there's something that could come out of this. A prudent person foresees danger and takes precautions. The simpleton, and isn't that a great word? The simpleton. Nobody wants to be a simpleton, right? The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. Another way of saying this is a prudent person thinks of the ultimate. The simpleton only thinks of the immediate. I want this now. I don't take into consideration what could happen, what the consequences are. I don't take a moment to think, okay, there's some things that come along with this choice. So the prudent says, okay, I want to focus more on the ultimate all right, And maybe someone that, that doesn't only focuses on the immediate. The problem is, and all of us in this room know this, okay, sometimes when we only focus on the immediate, that immediate choice leads to what? Regret. Because we made a choice that isn't in line with the type of person we want to become. It's not helping us become a better person. And so ultimately, it's not working to our success and the success of those people around us. And so today, we're going to start with a really simple concept. Okay, and then we'll kind of unpack this really over the next four weeks, but this is going to be really simple and really practical. But here's what we have to understand. My understanding of human nature, of me and you, okay, and, and I know this because I do it to myself, and I know this because I've talked to enough people, but here's the thing. The easiest person to deceive is yourself. The easiest person for you to deceive is yourself. And not only do we deceive ourselves, but a lot of us, let's get to the point, we actually lie to ourselves, don't we? We tell our things that, listen, we know aren't true. We also are willing to tell our stuff, listen, 
If one of your friends came to you and asked for advice, you would tell them the exact opposite sometimes of what you're willing to do to yourself. So we lie to ourselves. Brene Brown, who's a clinical psychologist and researcher and one of my favorite authors, she says this. Our rational grown-up selves are good liars. We're good at it. And the person that we're best at lying to is ourself. Okay? And so we have to make sure that we are going against this. Now, here's one of the things that runs counterculture to where we are today as a society. And and some of you, you're not going to like this statement that I make, and you're going to agree with me, and you're not going to like me for saying it. And my goal here is not to be liked. And so that's just what you need to know. Okay? There is something worse than feeling bad about yourself. See, some of us, we don't like to think about these things because it makes us feel bad about ourselves. And, and we've bought into the idea that you shouldn't feel bad about yourself. You, shouldn't, you should avoid those things. Don't feel bad about yourself. Avoid those things. That's negativity. There's the haters, you know. Okay, there is something worse than feeling bad about yourself. And the thing that's worse than feeling bad about yourself is denying something bad about yourself that's hurting yourself or other people. Think about that. We live in a world we don't like to deal with this stuff or we don't like to talk about it or it makes me feel bad about myself. So I'm just going to pretend like it doesn't exist or I'm going to listen to the cultural cues and say, don't talk about this. Listen, but refusing to acknowledge something that you know in you, and you may not like the word bad, okay, so that is hurting yourself or other people, if you refuse to acknowledge that and do something about it, that's not good. And so we have to be willing to be honest with ourselves. The other thing is this. You will never, I will never get to where we want to be until we acknowledge where we are. You can't. You cannot progress in human progression to where you want to be, whether that's more connected to God or what God's plan is for your life, or really if you just want to be a better spouse or a better parent, or just make better choices. Listen, you cannot get to where you want to be if you're not willing to acknowledge where you actually are. And so we have to stop lying to ourselves. okay? We also have to be willing, and this is going to be hard and hurt some of your feelings, okay? But listen, you have to be willing to take responsibility for the outcome of the decisions that you made. You have to. Do you know what we call someone who refuses to take responsibility for the choices that they've made? We call them irresponsible. That's the definition of it. And nobody, me included, wants to be irresponsible, right? Nobody wants to be, oh, I'm an irresponsible person. All right, so with all of that is kind of the, the precursor to where we're going to go, all right, here's the question we have to ask starting today, but we're going to unpack for the next several weeks, all right? It's a super simple question. Am I being honest with myself? That's it. Are you being honest with yourself? And then because I know me and I know you and we're so easy to dismiss that, here's it. Am I being honest with myself, take a second, really? Am I really being honest with myself about the choices and decisions that I've made to lead me to where I am today? Or is it possible that in some ways I have deceived myself or possibly even lied to myself and that's where I am, where I am today? Now, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. Again, my goal in all of this is to help us see better. It's to help us get to a better place. And so here's some really practical questions and maybe some scenarios, okay? Right? How about this? Why am I doing this really? Have you ever found yourself in a situation where if you get like a moment of clarity, your your, your response is, why am I doing this again? 
And are you willing to be honest with yourself in that moment? Or how about this? Why am I avoiding them, really? See, sometimes we avoid people because we know that negativity will come from that and some hardships will come from that and some heartache will come from that. But sometimes we avoid people because we know that they may actually be the person that could tell us something hard to hear, but also truthful. Sometimes we avoid people because we know that they might be the voice of reason that can speak into our hearts and our minds. So why am I avoiding them, really? How about this one? Why do I keep making excuses, really? Why, why is it that I know that I need to do this, but I just keep making excuse after excuse after excuse after excuse? Why do I keep doing that? Or how about this? Why did I say yes to them again, really? You ever know somebody and makes really good stories later on and you laugh about it, but in the moment you're like, why are we friends again? Like, why, why do I keep saying yes to you? Because every time I say yes to you, it, something bad happens. So, so why do I keep saying yes? Why did I choose to wear this, really? Why am I wearing this? Is it because it's comfortable? Is it because I'm trying to get attention? Like, well, what am, why am I doing this? Why did I choose to purchase that? Why did I really want that? Why do I keep going there? And I know every time I go there, something bad happens, something negative happens. Why do I keep going there? And why do I keep doing this really? Listen, I, I know that this is hard to hear. Okay, um, you might be really bad at selling other people on stuff. In fact, some of you really, really are. But you're really good at selling yourself on a bad idea. Me too. So the simple thing would be just tell yourself the truth, problem solved, right? But there's a problem that we understand about ourselves as, as human beings, okay? And psychologists, they've, they've studied this, and essentially we have this thing inside of us that keeps us from being able to tell ourselves the truth 100% of the time. And it's something that maybe you've heard about or maybe you're not, but psychologists call it cognitive bias or confirmation bias. This is a really important term. So cognitive bias or confirmation bias. So here's what it is. Confirmation bias is the tendency we all have to look for information or arguments that support what we already believe, right? So all it is is that we as humans have this, this bad problem of when we want to believe something, we look for the reasons to believe that, and we avoid all of the reasons we shouldn't believe that. Confirmation is a tendency that we all have to look for information or arguments that only support what we already want to believe, and reasons that support that we already inclined to do. So here, here's the boy there. Some of us, when we get on the internet and we're doing a little research, we have a tendency to only look at certain places for information, right? Because we believe that those sources will continue to affirm what we already believe. Some people choose churches because they want to go to churches that will only affirm what they already believe rather than challenge them to maybe something else, right? In fact, I don't know if you guys know this, but there's this, this great thing out there. Well, I don't think it's really that great. It's a thing called Facebook, right? And there's algorithms that they use that when you get on there, you may or may not know this, you're going to get news articles and sources that they have decided are already going to push you in the direction that you already want to go. Because they realized that if you get on there and you start finding out information about things that you don't like, 
well, then you're not going to get on there anymore, are you? And so think about that. This is, they, 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 there's industries built upon this. Confirmation bias also empowers us to see what we want to see and to hear what we want to hear. Do you know anybody that only sees what they want to see and hears what they want to hear, right? Just everybody, just it's all of us, okay? My number one rule of communication, I'll say it till I'm dead. The number one rule of communication is always, it's not what I say, it's what you hear. And I'm fully aware that when I say things, there's some of you who are only going to hear something else because of confirmation bias. You're only going to hear what you want to hear. Confirmation bias is the way in which, um, so for example, you've been in a relationship and, and like nine out of your 10 friends are like, this is bad. But you have that one person that's like, ah, oh, he's okay. And you're like, you're my favorite, right? You ever been there? You ever bought, wanted to buy something and everything tells you now's not a good time to buy. You shouldn't put it on a credit card. You shouldn't, you shouldn't, you shouldn't. And then you find that one article that's like, you know, do it. And you're like, this is, this is the source I'm going to use to confirm what I already want to believe. We all do it. The term cognitive confirmation bias was first used by English psychologist Peter Watson in the 1960s, but the, the idea has been around a lot longer. In fact, um, let's go back to the 17th century. There's a guy named Francis Bacon. You may know him as Sir Francis Bacon. Uh, he was an Englishman, but listen to what he says in the 17th century. This is amazing. The human understanding when it is once adopted an opinion draws all things else to support and agree with it. So in the 1700s, this guy's saying, listen, when we decide this is what we want or believe, we're going to draw all things to support and agree with it. And listen, and though there be a greater number of weight of instances to which be found on the other side, listen, there's a million reasons you shouldn't do this, but there's 10 that says you should. Which one are you paying attention to? Yet these, it either neglects or despises or else by some distinction sets aside or rejects. A Greek historian in the fourth century, Thucydides, I can't ever say his name, says this, for it is habit of mankind there should be, to entrust to careless hope what they long for and to use sovereign reason to thrust aside what they do not fancy. This is 400 years BC and someone's recognizing that we have this tendency that when we want to believe something, we don't care the consequence sometimes. We don't care if there's things that should tell us we shouldn't do it. We're going to do what we want to do. Now, there's this biblical story we're going to work through today. Um, it, it's a fascinating story, but it's going to give us some insight. And it's going to give us some wisdom at the end of what can happen if we're only willing to listen to our hearts and we're only willing to listen to what we want to do and not what other people maybe are informing us to. Or we have this cognitive bias where we're just going to do this and regardless of the consequences, we're not going to pay attention to. So around 600 BC, there's a guy named Jeremiah. He's got a, a book in, in the Old Testament. He's actually got a couple of them in there that you can read. And, and so Jeremiah, he's a court advisor to kings. He's also considered a prophet. Now in this context, he finds himself in. He is advising the kings and the kings are under Overall, the reigning rule of King Nebuchadnezzar, who is the Babylonian king, who pretty much kind of conquered and ruled that part of the world in that time. Now, one of the agreements that he makes, that Nebuchadnezzar makes as this Babylonian king with the people of Judah and in this region is, essentially, I'm going to allow you to continue to have your own king, 
to practice your own ways of worship, your own God, have your temple, have all this good stuff. You're going to kind of continue to live your life really the way that you want. The only thing is this. You have to acknowledge that I'm the, like, the supreme king, that I'm the, kind of the Lord over all of this, okay? And you have to kind of acknowledge and align yourself with, with Babylon. You have to admit that you're like kind of a province of Babylon, that you're, you're under their reign and their rule. That's it. But other than that, like in paying some taxes to us, like you can kind of live your life the way that you want. And, and so think about this, like you've got this powerful king and this powerful nation who's gone in and conquered your land and conquered all these people. And the deal is, as long as you continue to somewhat submit to us, we'll kind of let things be the way they are and you can kind of go on living the way you want. Well, the problem is there's this young king named uh, Jehoiakim. I did this last service, Jehoiakim. These names get real funky here in a second. So Jehoiakim. Now, he is going to Jeremiah and getting advice from Jeremiah. He's kind of listening to him. The problem is he doesn't like what Jeremiah is saying. Part of it is because Jehoiakim wants to be the king. He wants to be in control. He doesn't want to be under Nebuchadnezzar. He doesn't want to submit to him. And so Jeremiah is like telling him, like, part of the reason that you're in this situation is because of the sins of previous generations. And so it's kind of God's kind of I don't want to say punishment, but kind of rule right now that you guys are going to fall under, under Babylon. Like this is going to be the, the fallout of some of this. And so they're allowed to carry on, but they have to be under this rule. All right, so here's where the story gets real interesting. So Jehoiakim, he decides that he doesn't want to fall under Babylon anymore. And so what he does is he goes and he makes a deal with Egypt. Now think about the history between the Israelites and Egypt. It hasn't been warm and fuzzy. Okay, there's been a lot of stuff going on. The other thing is this. Right before he makes this agreement, Egypt and Babylon go to battle, and Egypt defeats Babylon in this major battle. And so Nebuchadnezzar is already ticked off at at Egypt. And now he hears that Jehoiakim wants to go and align himself with Egypt, which you can imagine makes him even more upset in spite of Jeremiah's warning in spite of the fact that he's warned, you can't go to war with Nebuchadnezzar. It's not going to go well with you. You're going to be defeated, okay? But regardless of all of that, Jehoiakim decides he's going to do what he's going to do. And so he continues to create this alignment. And in 598 BC, Nebuchadnezzar invades Judah and laid siege to the city of Jerusalem. Lasts about three months. And then he marches into the kingdom. And he takes Jehoiakim, right? And he adds him to his collection of kings. And you heard that right. Nebuchadnezzar is famous for collecting kings. Some people collect coins. Some people collect stamps, baseball cards. He collected kings. And so he goes in, he takes Jehoiakim out of power, and he brings him back with him. Now, he wants to leave another king in place, and so he takes Jehoiachin, which is Jehoiakim's son. The problem is he's 18 years old and he's been under the rule of his father. And so three months into this new kingship, Nebuchadnezzar realizes that Jehoiachin is basically doing the exact same thing that Jehoiakim has done. And so he takes him out and he goes and he brings him again. Same scenario, goes in, gets Jehoiachin, marches him out and adds him to his collection of kings. But they have to still put somebody in place. And you can imagine at this point, nobody wants to be the king of Judah because they've seen the last two get marched out and added to some weird collection by Nebuchadnezzar. And so eventually they land on one person that's going to be the new king, and his name is Zedekiah. Now, Zedekiah has an opportunity. He's seen 
how the foolishness of the two previous kings had not only hurt them themselves, but also the people. He's seen how this doesn't work well to go against Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, he's got Jeremiah in his ear kind of telling him, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. So he's got a million reasons why he shouldn't. But he's 21 years old. You ever met one of these 21-year-olds? Okay. You ever been one? I think they got it all figured out. The world is theirs. They know everything. And so despite all of the reasons he shouldn't, in spite of Jeremiah telling him that God doesn't want him to, and Judah is still part of God's people, right? Here is Zedekiah's opportunity not to repeat the mistakes of the past. But he doesn't listen. And Zedekiah enters into an alliance with Egypt, essentially declaring war with Babylon. And as Jeremiah predicted, Nebuchadnezzar himself, doesn't lead his generals, doesn't lead his commanders, Nebuchadnezzar himself led his army to crush Zedekiah and the people. The Babylonian army laid siege to the city once again, and what they begin to do is they begin to cut off the city from all of its outside resources, which means the people are starving and hurting. Again, remember, sometimes we think that our choices only affect us, but in reality, it affects lots of other peoples. And so it gets to the point where King Zedekiah, he realizes this is a losing effort. And so all of a sudden, now that he realizes what's going to happen, do you know what he does? He does what we all do. He goes to Jeremiah and he's like, can you have God now deliver the city? And, and here's why this is important. Sometimes when it comes to choices we make, it's not until the consequences start to pile up that we realize right? We've seen, listen, he saw what happened to the two other guys and he ignored it. He heard what Jeremiah said was going to happen and he ignored it. It was only when there's consequences, now he wants to get serious. Listen, you ever have these people? You're not sorry you did it. You're sorry you got caught. You know that reality? And Jeremiah assures the king that it's too late. And so Zedekiah, he takes him and his family at night, and they try to sneak out of the city. But the city is surrounded. And so Nebuchadnezzar's men, they capture Zedekiah and his family, and they put to death his family right before they take his eyes. The last thing he ever sees is the torture and execution of his family. And it sounds brutal, and it sounds like overkill, and it sounds pretty terrible, and it is. But the problem is Zedekiah had all the opportunity in the world not to make this choice. And he ignored all of it. And so you hear a story like this, and you read a story like this, and you can't help but think, what were they thinking? How could they be so clueless? How could they be so deceived? How could they continue to do this, knowing that it's going to hurt themselves and others? How could Zedekiah ignore what happened to the pre, his brother and his nephew? Like, how does he ignore? How does one person ignore all of this? Well, Jeremiah is going to tell us. It's going to be one of these things that we're not going to like to hear, but here's what he tells us happens in humans. And here's what we pay attention to, and this is why this is dangerous. He's, he writes this, kind of talking about all this. He says, The heart is deceitful. It should be coming up on the screen. The heart is deceitful above all things. So let's stop right there. 
The heart is deceitful above all things. Your heart, my heart, his heart, her heart, even those precious little children of yours, their heart. It's true. You ever told somebody that they should just listen to their heart? It's like the worst thing you could tell somebody, right? I mean, think about how many bad decisions that you've made because you listened to your heart. You only thought about the immediate and not the ultimate. The heart is deceitful. Now, I think that Jeremiah chooses the adjective very carefully because what he doesn't say is the heart is dishonest. And here's what I think is important. Dishonest is a lot easier to spot, right? Dishonest is it's just not true. Deceitful is much harder to spot. Deceitful usually includes a mix of truth and half-truth, right? It's kind of like on that line, like it could be true, but it's not true. That's deceitful. In fact, listen to this. You've met dishonest people And what? You immediately pick up on the fact, I think this person's not telling the truth. They're being dishonest. That's easy to spot. Deceitful people, they're the dangerous ones. So what he says is our hearts are deceitful. But he's not finished. Go back to his slide. He says this, the heart is deceitful above all things. Let's go ahead and leave that up, that slide. Above all things. Nope, not that one. That's okay. Go back. There we go. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure, which means this. For some of us, we think that the older we get and the more mature we get, we'll be able to work our way out of this. But you can't. doesn't matter if you're 25, 45, 65. You and I still have the tendency to lie to ourselves and deceive ourselves. This is a permanent condition. Now, when it comes to your health and you find out you have a permanent condition that you can't outgrow and you can't outmature, do you know what you do? You don't ignore it. Do you know what you do? You give it constant supervision, right? You go give blood every six weeks or every six months. You go to your doctor once a year. You get the checkup. You get the follow-up because you acknowledge this is something that's going to be in me. And so you respond with a proactive response. And then he says, the heart is deceitful of all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? And that's a good question, isn't it? Let me ask you, and you know, I talk about this. Do you understand your own heart? I don't. I've made choices that immediately I'm like, why did I do that? Why did I say that? Why did I think that? Maybe the most relevant, why did I eat that? You know, like, why? Like, why did I convince myself this was a good idea? And so it requires constant supervision. So the writer of Proverbs tells us this in Proverbs chapter 4. He says this, above all else, so above everything else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. We're going to talk about this more in the next couple weeks, but this reality. And, And when it comes to your heart, make sure you understand that these people aren't dumb. Okay, the heart and the mind are interchangeable for them. From your mind, from your thoughts, from your heart, everything you do flows from that. And he goes on to say, keep your mouth free of perversity, from, keep corrupt talk from your lips. I mean, the power of words, not only, and we're going to talk about this more in a couple weeks, that you use towards others, but the words you use about yourself. And then he says this, let your eyes look straight ahead, fix your gaze directly before you. Okay, this is the idea of what are you allowing yourself to see? What are you allowing yourself to hear? What's influencing you? And then he says this, give careful thought to the path for your feet and be steadfast in all of your ways. The principle of the path is not, listen, it's, it's direction, not intention that determines your destination. Listen, it doesn't matter what you wanted. It's where you're going that's going to tell you where you're going to end up. And so 
Are you being honest with yourself, really? And how many regrets and mistakes could you have avoided if you'd just been honest with yourself? And you know what? At the end of the day, you may say, you know what? I'm still going to do this. At least you know. So are you being honest with yourself, really? I mean, it's brutal, isn't it? It's terrifying. Some of us are terrified to be honest with ourselves. But if we're willing to, it's also clarifying and ultimately it's liberating and empowering to be natural or to be honest with yourself. Now, you're going to say, well, this doesn't come natural. Well, here's what you got to understand. Most good things for us don't come natural, do they? It's something we have to work at. See, the prudent, when the prudent see danger, when they see something that makes them pause, when they see something that seems like a warning flag or a landmine could be up ahead, they do something. They don't just keep going. They stop and they do something. And you know why they stop and they do something? And, and here's the reality of where we're going in this series. Because they understand that trouble is always one bad decision away. Every single one of us in this room are one bad decision away from consequences that not only affect us and the future we want, but also the people around us. So here it is. Would you be willing to decide? I will not lie to myself. Even if it hurts my feelings, I will be honest with myself. I will tell myself the truth because we all want to live a better life. Let's pray.